Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Welcome to episode 30 of Find Your Hum. I'm Kirsty, your host, and today I'm joined by Amelia Edie. Yes, the interviews are back. And this one I am so excited to bring you. It was also the first time that I forgot to hit record on an interview. We had been chatting for 20-ish minutes before I realised. I can tell you my heart sunk. Amelia, though, was an absolute gem about it, giving me a little more of her time and allowing me to ask those initial questions again. So obviously that conversation that I didn't record on was just meant for us, but I can assure you the conversation I did record was amazing. I was lucky to attend one of Amelia's yoga classes before we went back into the third lockdown. And since then, we have been building a connection via Instagram because I honestly love what she shares, not only about yoga, but also of her little allotment and the wonderful time that she spends outdoors. This prompted me to ask her for an hour of her time to chat about what she shares around yoga philosophy and the eight limbs of yoga. I went into this conversation with only a very vague idea of these concepts. Amelia not only shares what she knows about yoga philosophy and the eight limbs, she gives us so much to think about and reflect on in this chat. She also shares some practical ways in which we can bring yoga philosophy and the foundations of yoga into our daily lives. I couldn't help but be totally captivated by what Amelia was explaining. You can feel the energy and passion she has not only for the physical practice of yoga, but for the broad practice that truly is yoga. As you will learn in this episode, yoga goes way beyond the physical practice. In fact, the physical part of the practice, the poses and the breath, are such a small part, and yet we aren't shown or taught the other much greater part of yoga. During our chat, Amelia shares ways in which she brings in the broader practice of yoga. To help you begin to do the same, she has shared this in a download, which you will find in the show notes or over on her Instagram page. If you would like to connect with Amelia, you can do that over on her Instagram page, which is ameliagrace.yoga, or book into one of her amazing classes over on her website, ameliagraceyoga.com. You will find both of these links in the show notes. And if this episode leaves you humming as much as it did us, please take a screenshot and share it on Instagram, tagging both Amelia and myself at the nourishing way underscore. Amelia really does show us how through the broad practice of yoga, we can understand and relate to the nature of the human experience. This is one of those episodes that you are going to want to re-listen to. So Amelia, what were you like as a teenager? Oh my gosh, Um, angry. Definitely had a lot of bottled up anger especially sort of at home um so if you talk to the right people you could uh, definitely dig up some absolute horror stories that I'm not proud of there um but I think at school I was just really shy and I really wanted to just absolutely 
run the middle ground, sink into the background, not stand out in any way. But yeah, definitely had a bit of a temper as well. And I think that, I guess, emotional instability is kind of what led me to find yoga quite young. Um, and emotional regulation for me is still a big part of why I show up for my yoga practice. And if I sort of am not maybe as consistent with yoga, that tends to be the first place that I notice it in emotional regulation. So, yeah, angry. Yeah, I <laughs> the really first can, word that came to mind. I absolutely cannot imagine you angry. I, I and <laughs> anyone that knows you now would definitely would not know that there's. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. so much sweetness and light about you. <laughs> and also... It took a while to get here. <laughs> yeah, but you're sinking into the background as well. And I don't know, maybe because obviously I see you as a, a yoga teacher, so you're like up there directing a class or like showing up on your Instagram and stuff. I just, yeah, I can't imagine you wanting to sink into the background. Yeah, um, I think it's, I'm still, I still can be quite shy now. Um, And I think that it's just kind of when you're kind of finding your place in the world, isn't it? You don't, I kind of just wanted to sort of sit, watch, observe and work out, yeah, what was going on and what my place is and where I kind of, who I am, I guess, in many ways. So yeah, I'm glad I found yoga to help with all of that. So when did you get into yoga? Like, how did that journey Uh, go? Yeah, so I was at university um, at the time and I was really getting into, I was reading a lot of books like self-help books, meditation books, spirituality kind of books. And I was dabbling around with practices like meditation, but not really getting anywhere. Um, And I kept seeing yoga kind of pop up in these texts as something that was good for, I guess, what I was looking for. And then, yeah, someone posted on Facebook one day, one of my friends that she wanted to try a yoga class in town. Did anyone want to go with her? And so I went along and yeah, I haven't stopped going to yoga classes since. So I was 21 at the time. So yeah, super glad I found it so young. What made you become a yoga teacher? Oh, I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not all that sure, Kirsty. I just kind of kept putting one foot in front of the other and here I am. There was never, I get, I don't really think there was a definitive moment where I was like, I'm going to become a yoga teacher. But I, at one point was living on a narrowboat and I wasn't able to get to any classes. There was just none nearby. I didn't have a car at the time. I just had a boat. Um, And obviously on the boat as well, we didn't have any electricity. Well, we had electricity, but it was only one off a solar panel. So I couldn't do any DVDs or online classes. So I kind of just had to to still be able to practice yoga. I ended up teaching myself and just kind of reading books or looking at poses and trying to remember. By that point, I think I'd been doing yoga for about five years in classes. So I was just trying to recreate that at home. And eventually I kind of took a yoga teacher training so that I could carry on teaching myself I guess but here I am now teaching and sharing it with others as well that's actually a beautiful way to go into it and like doing it completely for yourself and I'm sure other yoga teachers yeah do that because it's obviously something they really like believe in but to actually do it just so you could do more of it yeah I was like I always say this I was like my first student (laughs) because I need it I I was looking, I couldn't get to a teacher at the time in any way, like, and a lot of people who can't get to a teacher can still access the internet, but I I didn't have that luxury. So yeah, that's kind of what led me to where I am now. Oh, wow. And to be your first 
student. I really like that. It's almost <laughs> like you need to be the student and the teacher. Oh, that sounds really, really Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, I like it. Now, I've got you on to talk about yoga philosophy, which I understand is a huge, huge topic, but you do mm-hmm. mention it a lot on Instagram, on your posts and stuff. So you've definitely like piqued my interest. So I'm going to ask you the very broad question of mm-hmm. what is yoga philosophy? Yeah, so definitely a really big question. And I guess at this point, I kind of just want to say that I am not a philosopher. I'm a yoga teacher and obviously as a yoga teacher training, we do some modules on philosophy. And then obviously since then, I've really tried to continue learning and be involved in sort of listening to conversations that are happening in the sort of field of yoga. Um, So I just want to say, obviously not an expert, definitely still a student, definitely still learning here, but definitely can share what I know and hopefully spark some interest in it as well here. Um, So I guess I'll start with saying that my understanding of yoga philosophy predominantly comes from the yoga sutras of Patanjali. Now this was a text that was written about 2000 years ago. And the fascinating thing for me about the yoga sutras is how little is about the physical practices such as breathing, uh, which is pranayama and asana, which is the yoga postures. There are a couple of the limbs, which hopefully we'll cover a bit later on, but actually how in depth the yoga sutras are about, um, I guess, the nature of the human mind and the nature of the human experience. And I think that the sutras, even though they're written like a couple of thousand years ago, they still feel so relevant, which always makes me feel like the actual nature of the mind hasn't changed much in the last couple of thousand years. Oh, absolutely hasn't. And it's like, we are now again, realizing that, like, I don't know why we have to stray so far away from one side to be able to then find our way back to the middle but it just seems that we have to and it's like there's this big surge to come back and balance our mind with like day-to-day life like I think people are really starting to understand the link that our mind has with so much that we experience in this lifetime exactly it's so so important I feel like yoga just provides this not the only way but it provides this really fantastic framework for understanding it and uh yeah guiding you I guess in understanding it and living it yeah because we. so yeah while we're there maybe okay (laughs) sorry I was gonna say so while we're there I will talk I just wanted to say that Patanjali was not the creator of yoga so just these texts was written 2000 years ago but yoga predates that by many many hundreds, thousands of years across various different forms in South Asia and India. Um, But he organized the teachings of yoga that were around at the time into these short sentences or sutras. And I once heard someone translate the word sutra very loosely into the word threads. And I absolutely love that because it kind of creates this image that there's all these threads of yoga, which each practitioner weaves into their own cloth. And I feel like I often remind my students that yoga can be what you need it to be that day or you'll take from the yoga what you need it to be that day and I feel like yeah there's a lot of that sort of take making taking what you need from it yeah because it's going to be different in how you're feeling at the time and how you show up and because you're going to find that with even just the way you communicate in general life someone might say something to you one day and just depending how you are and how you're feeling at the time you will 
respond to that differently, which is exactly the same to how you would respond to what you do on your mat. Exactly. So true. I absolutely love that analogy. Yeah. Perfect. I also love the threading um, analogy because I don't know, especially when you, I know I love practicing with people. Like obviously at the moment is a lot of doing things at home um, by ourselves still here in England where we are at the mm. moment. <laughs> we can't quite go back to yoga classes yet. Um, and yeah, there is just something beautiful about um, doing your practice with other people in the room. And I think I am going to think about that thread analogy now every time because it's also <laughs> the energy of everyone else in the room and how you're experiencing and weaving all together. It's, oh, I love that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, so <laughs> yeah, I thought I would just quickly go from there, like as to what the word yoga means. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with the word, what the what yoga translates to from Sanskrit. So yoga is a Sanskrit word and it loosely translates to union or to join or to yoke. And often we talk about the union of mind, body or, and soul or the union of the small self with the large self. And in the yoga sutras, the word union or the word yoga, sorry, is used a lot to describe the state of mind rather than maybe the practice so much as the, the effect, the, the, the state of mind that comes from the practices is what they kind of use the word yoga to describe a lot. Well, I suppose it is the union yeah. between your, well, like you just said, the big self, little self, the inner, the outer, like yoga is the catalyst for that, isn't it? It is. It's the container, isn't it? It's yeah. Like the sort of framework, the container, the catalyst that you can use, yeah, to hope create a better human experience for yourself and yeah so much I think so much of what happens happens in our own heads which is I think I was going to let you know the first, one of the first yoga sutras I, I do a lot of my students if any of them are listening to this they'll definitely recognize this because I do cite it quite a lot in my classes um I will pronounce it in Sanskrit and I will apologize to anyone listening because I'm really trying to work <laughs> I'm, I'm trying so hard to work on my Sanskrit pronunciation but it's not something that necessarily comes easily to me would you know what um, I don't I don't know it anyway so you will just be able to <laughs> say however you want it and I'll think it sounds amazing <laughs> <laughs> thanks um so it's yogas chitta vittis naroda which translates loosely to yoga is the calming or the stilling of the fluctuations of the mind and in one of the translations I've read recently um pundit tignit uh translates the fluctuations of the mind is the roaming mind, which really resonates with me because we have what is estimated up to 70,000 thoughts a day. And how many of those thoughts are the same? Yeah. Like it, it's like this cycle in our heads. And to me, yoga creates this space and it liberates us from that cycle of the roaming mind. And I think that I feel quite strongly that over time and over lots of practices of yoga, we move from a place of maybe distraction towards more direction and more space there I, I love the idea of roaming because I mean like oh, catch myself doing it and especially in the hustle bustle of life and you're thinking about all these different things that you've got to do you're not present in the moment like yep. it literally jumps from one thing to that like my brain is so busy all the time <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm going yeah, to also blame that on my Virgo-ness but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it like doesn't stop so yeah that 
that running yeah. and the calming of it is beautiful. And yoga is the practice that can help us create some space in all of that. And ultimately, it's to, to make a better experience for ourselves and for the people that we interact with and the life that we lead. So that really helps with that emotional regulation, isn't it? Because like it takes you out <laughs> of like one way or another, like it just it brings you back into the present. And exactly. And I think that's why what a lot of people get from yoga, even if they don't necessarily maybe know the philosophy behind it, you still go to a class and through the way that classes are structured with the breathing and hopefully like the way that teacher teaches it, it helps you create that space, even if you don't necessarily know the whole sort of philosophy behind it. I definitely I think that's part of what keeps people coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, without them even realising what's happening, they just know that they feel better after doing it. Exactly. <laughs> the um just in regards to that emotional regulation Mm -hmm. like I find that this is obviously personal experience that it's not that doing yoga and meditation and all those kind of things stop necessarily I don't know bad things happening happening to you or you getting stressed or getting angry or sad or even really really excited like it doesn't stop you feeling those emotions but I just find that the the, you're not as reactive to triggers and there is that more regulation so instead of going up and down these massive waves it just makes it a little bit more calmer so that up and down just doesn't feel like it's and rather than like being in the emotions you can kind of take sometimes a bit of a step back and watch them a bit more and from there you can be a bit more objective Yes. Which I think is kind of, I still completely get swept up in emotions sometimes. And I, even in that moment where I'm swept up, I know I can't see it objectively. And I know there'll be a time where I'll be able to come back and be objective because I know through yoga that and not nothing's permanent. Like just because you're angry once doesn't mean you're going to be angry forever. Just because you're happy doesn't mean it's, you're going to be happy forever. It's always, there's this changing states, but inside all of that, you know how to come back to that space and that, true nature of who you are even if you can't do it in the moment I know that it will be okay and that I will get back there yeah I just think that yeah like you said so many people probably don't realize that that is what they get out of yoga (laughs) that's even where like all of this like even the like the mindfulness that is obviously around now and all of these other practices still have very strong ties and roots back to yoga and yoga philosophy and you can fully see that like once you start talking about it you're like oh actually this is all just yeah exactly (laughs) yeah now I'm going to ask you about um the eight limbs of yoga because you did a post um and I know that post was on boundaries um, but it definitely sparked my interest because you mentioned yamas and nayamas, niyamas. Yeah, niyamas. Um, niyamas um, that I know are mm-hmm. part of the eight limbs, but I have no idea what the other eight limbs are. I actually don't even know what they are. Actually, no, I know the other two because of the practice. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you can let us know what those eight yeah. limbs are and yeah, give us a bit of an example of them. Definitely, yeah, of course. So, um, the eight, a lot of people hear the words eight limbs, but sometimes people don't even know where that came from. I, I certainly didn't. I knew for a while what the eight limbs of yoga were, but I didn't know that they came from this Patanjali's yoga sutras. Um, and so the first part, I said that the yoga sutras is kind of written down in like four sort of chapters. And the first one is that 
introduction to sort of the mind, the body and the sort of experience. And the second one is called Sardana Pada, which is Sardana is practice. And so this book is talking about how to practice yoga, this part of the book is talking really how to practice yoga. And as part of that, he talks about yoga as having eight limbs. And I really like, I think it's important to say, I really like the, the his use of the word limbs because it, I think sometimes people can think that they're like steps, but they're not steps. If you think of them as like a tree or something with limbs, constantly growing in all directions all at once it's constantly shredding shedding it's constantly having regrowth and so i really like that image of these practices all sort of unfolding together in all the different ways and not sort of being a complete end goal but something that you can always just come back to and draw inspiration from and i suppose not being like a ladder and like one step after another means that you don't have to I don't know, like you, you can jump around, like it doesn't have yeah. to be a, an order to them. You can start yeah. wherever you need to. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought I'd just oh, nice. give you a really brief introduction to, to what they are. So the first two, I think maybe we'll, hopefully we'll have time to go a little bit deeper into the first two, because I think there's some absolute amazing sort of frameworks there that you can really use to take yoga in to your daily life a lot more but I'll introduce them here briefly first so that is the yama and the niyama um, and so they are ahimsa which is uh, non-harm and then you've got satya which is truthfulness you've got asteya which is non-stealing uh, you've got brahmacharya which is energy management and you've got aparigraha, which is non-grasping. So they make up the yamas. And the yamas are kind of like more the external observances. And the niyamas are more personal ones. But together they guide us and help us consider our ethical and moral actions, our personal choices, and our communities and our relationships. Um, and so, yeah, the niyamas, there's five of them as well. So there's five of each. They're sorsha which is purity, santosha, which is contentment, tapas, which is dedication, svadhaya, self-study, and ishvara, planidana, which is devotion. So those make up the yama and the niyama. And then there, the second two uh, of the eight limbs are asana and pranayama. So these are the two practices that you're probably familiar with if you come to a yoga class so asana is the postures and pranayama is the breathing practices and so I really I absolutely love these two these are the two that definitely most people will be familiar with and I think to me it makes sense that we explore the body and use them in this way um, we experience yoga through the postures and I think that having a body is a big part of our nature and ourselves and the way that we interact with our life and our mind. So naturally in yoga, I think we use our bodies to spark that inner inquiry through asana or pranayama. And um, yeah, I was gonna share this quote with you because I think uh, BKS Iyengar puts it way better than I ever could. And he's got this quote and it is, body is the arrow, asana is the bow and soul is the target. Oh, I love um, that. Can you yeah. say that again? Say that again for everyone that's listening because it's a really, I absolutely love that quote. Yeah, body is the arrow, asana is the bow, and soul is the target. 
just really links it all together doesn't it it does it does and it really just yeah takes it all forwards and obviously pranayama is the the breathing practices so that's the fourth limb and i think these breathing practices are are amazing and they've been around in india and south asia for thousands of years and now they're kind of being studied more and more by modern science and the effects that they have and the the yogis uh, in India at the time, they knew this, they felt it through experience in their bodies. But now science is proving that, yes, it does have these amazing profound changes on your, um, your cardiovascular system, your heart rate variability, um, your lung function, just your organ function in general, and all of these things can be improved through these breathing practices. So I mean, like, being a lover of digestive health, breathing. Yes properly like yes and deeply and like paying attention to that is just amazing for digestive health as well as like hormonal yeah. health as well but like yeah. so digestive massaging the organs getting everything working like bringing yourself back into that rest and digest state it is just it is huge and powerful about yes. how amazing the breath is and we know this now because we could measure it, but they couldn't measure it then, but they still knew it. And they came up with all these practices that science is now able to, to measure. Um, so yeah, really powerful. And I think that it, a lot of asana and pranayama, like they do really work on purifying the body, looking after the body and really honoring, because that's what we go through life. We experience our lives through this body. And so we, in many ways, we need to honor it and look after our bodies. Yeah, and the purifying comes with the moving of the energy, which is the physical practice as well as the breathing. Like it is just about making sure all that stuff doesn't get stuck in us. Exactly. Yeah, so true. And um, yeah, while we're on asana as well, I do think it's really, really important for me to point out that originally, like one of the main purposes of asana was to be able to sit longer in meditation. Because if you think about all of the things we do in our asana practice, we're really strengthening our body so we can, our spine can be supported while we're in meditation. Uh, we can sit comfortably on the floor um, and all of these things. So that's a really big part of why asana is there, is to support a meditation practice. So. Yeah, because actually really after the age of about six, (laughs) when you stop sitting on the floor (laughs) at school and you sit into a chair and stuff, it becomes really hard to sit down for a long period of time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, the the yoga postures uh, and the breathing practices can really help with that. So, yeah, that's the third and fourth limbs. Uh, The fifth one is platyahara, which is sense withdrawal or control of the senses. Um, I love this one. The, the analogy that I find really helped me because some of the, I found this one really hard to understand at first. Um, but the analogy that really helped me is the image of a tortoise with its shell on its back and all of its limbs and its head coming inwards into its shell. So it's the practice of taking, I guess, sensory engagement with the outside world and turning the senses inwards. So a really, really simple way of practicing this is closing the eyes. Yeah. Um, and I think we really need this unplugging. Like we really do. Like so many people, they don't, they think they've stopped because they're sat down in front of the telly, but that's such a sensory overload. There's still all this stimulation. There's still this engagement with the mind. And sometimes you just need to withdraw and allow the mind to run its, run its motions until it can slow down because it's almost exhausted itself because there's nothing else to engage with sense 
wise and things if that makes sense yeah hopefully that that makes sense yeah absolutely and I can totally like again like you said with the like sensory overload again Mm. how I would you know let my clients and stuff know that even like the light through your eyes so that is like so much that we get with all this artificial light all that kind of stuff like just turning off and going inwards is so important and like you said they've again these people knew this 2000 years ago and for some reason now and and more (laughs) yeah and we can't just accept that that was then but we have to put some scientific study behind it now (laughs) to seem to have to realize it which just again annoys me I'm like you close your eyes for a bit take it away and you instantly become karma (laughs) yeah and I bet you never realized that that was a practice that was in yoga (laughs) yeah absolutely I like that um that'd be why they do it at the start of yoga nidras isn't it because I know they always turn the senses yeah beautiful like I yeah I'll just listen to a yoga nidra just for the first five minutes (laughs) (laughs) like it's amazing how when you think about it you can breathe from the inside you can see and feel like through your whole body from the inside once you really tune in with it once you tune in once yeah exactly uh yeah so that's the fifth limb um the following three limbs are often considered i think they're called samyama and they're considered the inner limbs to the eight limbs and so they're really going inwards the first one is the rana which is a one-pointed focus. So the easiest way I understood this was thinking about it as visual practices, um, like meditating on a candle flame. You're holding your focus on that one point. And also mantra practices as well, when people recite the same mantra over and over again for like 108 counts or however many counts they're doing, that really focuses you in on one point and helps you find that state of one-pointedness. And as we know, the mind jumps and it moves around a lot. So there aren't that practice of holding the mind on one point. I've never actually done a candle flame meditation. That might be having put in I don't do them often to be honest. Like I actually think the last time I did a candle meditation was probably on my yoga teacher training. So yeah, it's been a while since I'll try and do one as well. Yeah. Just out of interest, just to see, see what how it would it be like in terms yeah. of yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a practice of dharana. And then it's said that kind of from that point of focus, that's where you naturally, I guess, move into a state of meditation. Like med- And dhyana meditation is the seventh limb of a yoga practice. And yeah, as we know, a state of meditation is hard to find. It can be frustrating. It's what kind of led me to yoga because I couldn't find that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I still find that really hard to find. Um I don't think we need to say too much about meditation. I think when someone says that, they can kind of know what they mean. Um, And then the seventh one is samadhi. Oh, sorry. The eighth one is samadhi, um, which is the experience of focused presence and tranquil sort of equanimity of the mind. I don't have too much I can really say about this one. It's not really one that I've sort of practiced or felt like I've really, really got to in my practice. Um, but a lot of people say it's kind of like a state beyond intellect. So it's just a state of like kind of being like really pure being presence. I suppose that's what our um, Dalai Lama and stuff has. Yeah. Of, like that level of <laughs> yeah. being one of them. That connection. Yeah. Glimpses, say, but yeah. yeah. I was gonna say, it's not to say that you can't have moments of that. Yeah. 
yeah exactly yeah. yeah and there is in the yoga sutras they do talk about different levels of of samadhi it's not just like there's one one level there's there's different sort of bits where you might get a glimpse or you might get like yeah some people can stay in that state but yeah samadhi is the the eighth limb would that focused presence I suppose once you were doing some of those other states you may Mm. like you said get into them like you know with whether it's with your breathing or meditation there'd be there'd be moments that you would absolutely slip into that exactly and it's through those sorts of earlier I think that's why they're kind of separated as like the they come to the inner limbs because they're kind of ones that I kind of think of samadhi as more like the fruits like if you think about all of the limbs and samadhi is kind of just this fruit that kind of happens and and meditiana as well with the meditation it's just the more the fruit oh yeah yeah so it's like the end result of growing all these other things is this beautiful (laughs) yeah at the end yeah nice so now that we know those and obviously how would you then take those off the mat and Oh, love this question. Yeah. (laughs) The, I think the, the best way to take these sorts of ideas off the mat is through the Yama and the Niyama, those first two limbs. So I feel like I just want to talk a little bit more about those because they are just, just amazing tools and amazing framework that really helped me sort of look at situations in my life and sort of think about looking at them in a different way and taking maybe different actions that may be more aligned because I've taken a pause and used that space that I've got for gained through my yoga practice and directed that towards these things so yeah the first one ahimsa is non-harm and this is like the foundation yama that all the others build upon and it's the practice of aligning your actions your thoughts and your deeds your deeds with non-harm and Yeah, some people flip it around to kindness and practicing kindness towards ourselves, our world and our communities. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's so core. And I think if, you know, a lot of people thought about that more, I'm just getting yeah. all like really hippie. It would just be such a nicer place to live. <laughs> it, would, it would be. And um, yeah, some of the things that, the ways that I practice this is through through self-reflection and I kind of think like are my actions causing harm to myself or others are my thoughts causing harm to myself or others um and for me that's a big one I've got a really strong inner critic and it likes to you know like sometimes it says things that are actually quite causing harm towards myself and I have to really check that and like think well that's that's me that I'm causing harm to can I let go of those thoughts can I change that um what can I do from there yeah so big one there that's why I put I always think about myself as well when it comes to non-harm because I think naturally I tend to lean towards not harming others and forget that I have to also listen when it comes to myself as well probably the biggest one is actually doing it towards ourselves isn't (laughs) it because uh, especially as women we can be very hard on ourselves internally yeah exactly so I have to check that I have really have to check that and I have to like look at in situations if I'm ever going through something and I think I I really need to sort of sit with this and I sometimes like I have a list of questions that I reflect on and one of those is are my thoughts causing harm to myself 
And yeah, often, <laughs> often the answer is yes. And also as well, thinking about my actions and are my actions driven by non-harm or are they motivated by things like jealousy or greed, anything like that that can be motivating your actions, which maybe won't cause the best outcome for yourself and others because of that motivation that they're coming from. Yeah. Do you journal on that or is that something you just now have been doing for so long? It's just sort of like a something that you go through I'm in more, your mind. Yeah, I'm not so much of a big journaler. Like I'm not a big pen to paper person. I'm more of a I'll sit with it um, maybe just in a quiet space and think think it through. More, like more reflect on a, it. Yeah, more of a reflector yeah. than a journaler. Yeah. Yeah. So all of them kind of build from that. You really need that foundation of non-harm to, yep. And that kind of weaves in. And if you think of them again, going back to the idea of them all being threads, they really do weave in and out of each other and build off each other here. And often in a situation you won't, you'll, there'll be like a couple that you really need to work on. So yeah, the next one is satya, which is truthfulness. And this encourages us to be truthful in our actions, our words, our thoughts and our deeds. And I think it's really important that we build on that practice of non-harm here when it comes to truthfulness um, and kind of like thinking like, I'll be living in alignment with our values. Yeah. Um, or as a big one for me is I, I often have to reflect on this one. Am I withholding my truth and speaking what I think others would like to hear? I'm a big one for padding out the truth for other people <laughs> yeah. in a way that sometimes actually causes more harm in the end because maybe I haven't been fully honest. And so that's that's kind of how I really have to be aware of Satya for me. Um, and then a big one I think that I see is, are you speaking or hearing truths aligned with non-harm? So some people, I think some people just like speak the truth because they think that they really value the truth when sometimes it's not really maybe their place to say the truth. Like they haven't been asked for their opinion on that or it's not really their place to tell that in the case of like gossip or something. It's not their place to say they're causing harm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, because that goes think... back into harming through actions and yeah. stuff like that when you're, yeah, absolutely. Like sometimes I have to think like, well, is that actually my conversation to have? Or can I actually say, I, I, that, I'm not sure that's my conversation to have. And that that's a way of practicing your truth in a way that doesn't cause harm because it's not your, obviously if it's your conversation to have, then you need to be thinking um, about, yeah, am I speaking my truth? Am I hearing their truth? And all of those sorts of things. And I suppose about having that and being really truthful with yourself when sometimes yes. maybe what <laughs> you've got to say might initially cause a bit of harm in one of a better word, but yeah. the long-term outcome is going to be yeah. so much better by causing that bit of discomfort, probably a better word, in the yes. beginning. Definitely. That's a, that's just such a big one for me. That's a constant work in progress. Uh, definitely one. Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the yamas that I write these reflection questions. They're quite personal to me, but for other people, there might be something specific to them that they need to work on when it comes to speaking or living their truth. So. And again, be truthful with what you need to work on. I think yeah. that's a good one too, because <laughs> exactly. we can just... It can, and the mind will do it. Just ignore the bits that are hard and sticky because yeah. it is hard and sticky. <laughs> it's hard and sticky, yeah. But we just got to sit with that because ultimately it serves us best at the end and it won't just serve us best. It will serve the other people involved best yes. as well. 
Yeah, so building from that, we've got a stayer, which is non-stealing. And I really love this one because I think on surface value, a lot of people can think, well, I don't steal. I know, I know not to steal, but there's a lot of really subtle ways that you can steal. Like you can steal someone's time. You can steal someone's energy. You can steal someone's culture. Like there's a big discussion on cultural appropriation in yoga at the moment. And that really resonates with me in terms of a stayer. Like, and then there's resources as well that you can steal. So that some instant, of the things my instant yeah. thought was energy when it yeah. comes to stealing because yes <laughs> I find and again that probably again this is how I love like you said with the threads and it all matches in is like yeah. people can just almost again like if you're feeling not that good just dump it on somebody else yes and it not being the appropriate time to do that and I know like this last year for me has been quite tough and the times when I'm like oh work I need to get stuff out but I will make sure that I ask the person that I'm needing to do with if they're okay to hold space for it as well because everybody's going through different things and it's like it's not bad if that person says you know what at the moment I just can't do that for you that's so much better conversation to have and how beautiful is that because you're practicing like ahimsa satya anastaya like all in one go there and really honoring everyone involved in that situation yeah like being mindful of someone's energy and that also links into the one coming up next as well um but yeah really thinking about all those subtle ways that we can take when it's not ours but yeah so that i get think that really leads us on nicely so we'll go ahead to brahmacharya which is energy management now this one's a really interesting one i think because it's often skipped over because one of the ways that you can practice brahmacharya is celibacy uh yeah it's kind of just like oh yeah but yeah yeah celibacy right but it's it's as a form of energy management and when you go back to the sutras uh i'm going to completely paraphrase here because i've not got it in front of me but the, the translation is something like by practicing energy management vigor is gained so by being more mindful of what's taking our energy we're actually having more energy we're preserving it and we're cultivating our energy for things that we actually maybe need it for and I just think that when we take away obviously if someone wants to practice celibacy as a way of practicing their yoga amazing this practice is there for you if you need it but energy management I think is a really when when we skip over it we miss that energy management element which is so important I think um and yeah the ways that I reflect on that one is kind of like am I giving more energy than I have to give Am I respecting my own and others' personal boundaries? And also this really relates to what you were saying. Can I build on the previous yamas to become clearer with my energy and boundaries? So actually saying to someone, no, I don't have the capacity right now to hold that space for you or asking if someone's got that space to hold for you at the moment. And I know that we both respect and appreciate our menstrual cycles too. And as females really like, oh my goodness, like this energy management comes in so much with how you work through your cycle and when's the best time to do certain practices and all that kind of stuff just leads into that energy management. And I think as a female, like we have the ability to tune into the most beautiful thing as our menstrual cycle to really be able to understand this from a physical energetic point of view obviously there's different kinds of energy management but yeah from a physical point of view yeah I never linked it to that but that I absolutely love that now I'm going to really think about that from now on because 
yeah, there's just some times where you, I know that I don't always have the energy uh, and that's linked to my cycle and that's okay. And I've, I've, le- I've never tied it into the yamas, but I've learned at those times to take that step back and just honor where I'm at. So, yeah. So and I think for you. those people too with the energy management and stuff like that, again, like no is a complete sentence. And then again, it's yes. the boundaries thing. Like, you know, oh, sometimes you... such a hard one for me to learn. Like, yeah. oh. Yeah, just the don't <laughs> always have it and like you said I can't remember yeah it goes back to the no harm where it does you yeah. have to make sure that you're not harming yourself which includes yeah. your energy yes, yes. <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. uh it's, it's this this practice this is why I'm so like keen on talking about the yamas and the yamas because this framework has empowered me so much in all these ways that I'm sharing with you now um and I know that so many people I hear loads of people talking about things and how they've come to where they are in their life and I hear even though they don't know about the yamas and the niyamas yes. I hear so many elements like coming in oh yeah every time you're saying something I'm like yep 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 That's and I'm like yeah no idea where it's come from <laughs> yeah um so the so there's five yamas so the fifth one is aparigraha uh, aparigraha yeah I'm not sure I said that right that's how I pronounce it work, work in progress <laughs> um, like I said the, I have no idea so it sounds lovely <laughs> I love this one it's the yama of non-grasping or non-attachment and sometimes um sometimes non-hoarding as well and I love this one because it reminds us that everything's in a state of change and to let go of things as they change it can help us adapt to our current circumstances um with non-attachment towards sorts of things that are going on in the world so the ways that I kind of reflect on this one is where is attachment showing up in my life am I holding on to an outcome or goal or a past event that's sort of causing am I holding on to that um and also as well is attachment meaning that I'm taking more than I need from something oh I love that that is this has probably been my biggest learning over the last year year and a half two years is the non-grasping yeah it's yeah. just let, letting go of things and it, it's funny like there's so many ways that it shows up I think like in so many different ways like one of the ones I had recently is I was I was annoyed with my boyfriend about something and I, I wanted it something I wanted him to do something in a certain way and obviously that's completely unrealistic unreal- and when I let go of that sort of need that that outcome I, I sort of softened in the whole situation if that makes yeah. sense and I I it was only when I really sat down and reflected on that with the whole of the armors that when I got to this one, I was like, oh, I'm attached to an expectation that I had of him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that one. That probably in terms of that attachment to how we want others to be, like yeah. that just, oh, that was definitely me. And I've definitely learned that in the last couple of years and quite a hard one and to how learn much at times. Comes- how much discomfort did that cause you? How much oh, mental goodness. suffering did yes. it cause you? Not yeah. Which <laughs> and maybe end up in England. Really tie in. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, how that, much it caused me. I went to the other side of the world. <laughs> we have we're having this conversation here now because you came to Wiltshire and yeah, our paths must go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but, I think that yeah. one that one for me is just like oh yeah, and I still know that again these are always a work in progress. You're never going to have them completely like ticked off in some amazing state I always think of them as like a yoga pose though yoga poses really teach you this because one day you might come to class and you might do an amazing virabhadrasana free so warrior three you might be standing on one leg and you might be like wow 
but the next time you will not be able to do that yes and wobbling all over the place (laughs) just because you did it once doesn't mean that you will always be able to do it and there's still days like I completely fell on the floor in triangle pose the other day I just landed on my bum and no matter how long you do yoga like there's always things that just throw you off and I think that's the same with the yamas and the yamas they're not this tick box that you just complete they're a constant practice and in the same way that you might fall out of a pose that you've been doing for nearly 10 years you might also fall off and yeah change <laughs> yeah. like not act in the way that you thought you were able to and that's okay too and I think that's where the yoga asana really is amazing because you can learn so much and you can learn really just to let things go and accept things for what they are because you've experienced it yeah you have that actual experience in your body of things being impermanent and just accepting how they are at the time yeah and also knowing yeah. like you said it is going to be hard or even if you go into a difficult yoga pose and it might be a like oh this is challenging it finishes it ends I know yeah. yes and like everything breaths, five, yep. five breaths ten breaths like it'll be over yeah do a few more but... <laughs> boat pose for me that's what gets me every time <laughs> I, oh you're lucky you don't come regularly to my classes like that is my favorite <laughs> I, I remember that one you did I don't know it was something and you were like this is going to really test your call and I'm like oh, what call like I couldn't even do it it's like yeah that, that is not <laughs> that's definitely testing my call <laughs> oh that's so yes. funny yeah so that's the yamas uh and then I thought I'd yeah talk about the niyamas as well next so yep. if you remember I said that the yamas were kind of a lot about external like how we engage with our personal and worldly experience so how we engage with our communities our relationships and ourselves whereas the uh the niyamas are kind of more personal observances I guess um and the first one is sorsha which is purity mm-hmm. or cleanliness and this niyama it really encourages you to keep good hygiene in your external world so your body and your home and yoga poses and pranayama exercises as we were saying are a really good way of practicing this one because we are literally purifying our body with those poses or those breathing practices but also more subtly as well you can think about um, keeping your internal world such as your state of mind your thoughts your morals and your lifestyle and how you can bring in a little bit more sort of cleanliness or purity in that and how that kind of affects your mental equilibrium oh I love that yeah so like one of the sort of things I reflect on there is am I looking after my body and my environment like I always feel better when I've cleaned the house so I make priority (laughs) to do that (laughs) and also like do I have any mental or emotional clutter which is affecting my worldview can I do anything about that and what practices can I draw on to help me stay centered and feel clarity? So that's some of the ways I reflect on that. I suppose it's like a little chin up and a, a flush out for your, yeah. your body to make sure that nothing's getting stagnant and stuck. And exactly. All that in there. Yeah. yeah. And the, our... so again, one of the ones that people probably practice without realizing that they're kind of practicing. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, like you feel better when your house is clean because the external reflects the internal doesn't it so if you look around and things are cluttered and must messy you can't help yeah (laughs) I know I'm just looking around my room now like (laughs) (laughs) but but again it gets to the point where you're like oh my goodness have to do something about this (laughs) and it's the same with like internal isn't it it's like you can go and go and then get to the point you're like actually I just need to stop and sort whatever's going on inside so I can sort it out yeah Yeah, reassess like rebalance that mental equilibrium yeah 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 so that's the first that's the first niyama 
the uh, second one is probably one of my favorites. I feel like I might say that about everyone, but this is Santosha, <laughs> which is contentment. So Santosha is the second Niyama and it's translated as contentment. And this Niyama is reminding us through practicing being content, we can experience more joy. And it's not a joy that's being built on external events. We're not pinning our happiness on something that's changeable. We're actually going inwards and finding that sense of contentment that's more nestled in our true nature. Yes. That makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is... connection, fulfillment. Yeah, because we so often link it to outside things or the fact that we think that, like, this amazing, you have to be happy all the time. And I think contentment is such a better way of putting it, not even better, but I I resonate more with contentment because it means that things can go wrong, can go amazingly and you can just be content with the outcome no matter what and I think no that's a what. special place to get to exactly and it's I think it's I think when uh contentment's kind of translated sometimes to like happiness it, it, you miss the point because yes happy so many people put their happiness I don't know if you've heard the phrase destination happiness where they yes. put people put their happiness off to some point in time I'll be happy when when. I'll be happy happy when but all you're doing there is you're just constantly moving the goalposts and you're never going inwards to that point where you could have had that happiness or that contentment already in that in your nature rather than looking for it and I feel like sometimes people think oh but if you're like content then you don't go for things but I don't think that's true I think when you're content you kind of you actually do move forwards and you but you do it in a way where when you are going for something you're you're not attached to the outcome because you're already like happy or like content with where you are and yeah you're you're content with where you are you can be happy in the moment but still want to strive for different things yeah absolutely yeah you still have aspirations and you still sort of go forwards but you do it from a place where no matter where you get along the way that that contentment's going to be there with you so you actually enjoy the journey rather than just pinning it off on something. And then when you're getting there, it's actually not what you want. You're not happy still because at, you can't get happiness from external <laughs> things. And it goes so back to that no grasping, doesn't it? Like when you're grasping and this holding on to they, things, like absolutely, yeah. they, those two just mesh so well together. This is where they, they all weave in and out so yes. much. Yeah. Uh, so they're the first two, yeah. Uh, the, they're the first two. The third niyama. So the the following three niyamas, um, they actually Patanjali calls these three the practice of kriya yoga, and kriya is the Sanskrit word for action. So they consider in the sutras he kind of says that these three are the path of action towards a state of yoga. Um, so tapas is the first one, and it's literally translated as to burn or to heat but it's often understood as that inner fire or that self-challenge or that dedication. So I always think of tapas as some, a practice that burns away the impurities, but it's also that hard work of the spiritual practice. And through tapas, we can tapas, sorry, I always say it with an A, but it's actually more <laughs> tapas. Um, we can learn to even look forward to the challenges and see them as an opportunity. Yeah. Yes. And that's where that whole, well, if you're, when people say about not having the goals well this is yeah basically what that is isn't it exactly so the ways that I kind of I guess where I reflect on this is how am I currently challenging myself maybe it's in my yoga practice maybe it's in a pose that really tests my sort of mental strength 
or can I see a situation in a new way that helps me find the dedication to persevere with that challenge as I can see the growth or even can I embrace a level of discomfort to allow the space for experiences to grow so can I be in a place of discomfort and know that my tapas my dedication at the moment is sitting with that because I know that it's going to serve me and I'll be better gain something from it in the long run yeah I like that one yeah I feel like I'm going to think about that more when I do hard poses (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm like yeah yeah, definitely but or like just in a hard situation and like calling on that energy like this is a difficult situation this is my tapas this is where I can practice that can I find that perseverance can I sit with the discomfort can I go forwards and yeah and I often actually would say to myself sometimes Kirsty, you can do hard things. Like don't, don't be afraid of it. And it doesn't mean that you want life to be hard or that you are asking the universe to throw hard stuff at you, but you can do it. And we can all do can do hard things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we just need to find that inner strength sometimes. And that's where I kind of, at that moment is where I think of tapas and I go, okay, I can, I can pull that last bit of strength to get through this. Yeah, absolutely. So the second part of Kriya yoga or yoga um, and the, fourth niyama is a svadhaya i really enjoy this one it's the um practice of self-awareness or self-study so being more aware of ourselves and taking control of our actions and our choices so we can notice when we're feeling stuck when we're repeating patterns or events in our lives and maybe show us where we maybe need to revisit a yama or niyama to find more ease peacefulness or liberation from that in our daily lives yeah, I, this is, again, as much as I've really not liked sitting at home a lot this year, so much of this has been able to grow this year because we've had the chance to sit with ourselves and really look, well, I know, I suppose we have, I shouldn't speak for the collective, I have um, been able to do this. And, yeah, that self-awareness and like you said, it goes back to then how you are with all those yamas in terms of your Mm. inward, your outward, really just looking at all that and understanding where you are coming from in all those situations. Exactly. And one of the ways of this is I really have to sort of be honest with myself, like, and actually with the situation yeah, and sit with that honesty. And yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one, that one, isn't it? I think self-study and self-awareness. And hard. It can be hard to look in the mirror sometimes. And a lot of the times we are throwing things that make us look in the mirror, which we often ignore because it is hard. And I think that's why it comes after tapas. Yes. Because you need that 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 dedication and that determination for that one. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, it's so easy to ignore some of those things, especially about ourselves, and then, again, push those outwards. to And then be annoyed when other people reflect them back to us yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah so uh yeah that brings us on to the last one here which is the fifth niyama and I love this one it's a hard one to talk I do find it a hard one to talk about those ishvara pranidana and it's the total surrender or trust in the divine or god so if you are religious Maybe it's God, um, but maybe it's just the path of life. So Ishvara Pranidana is the surrender or trust in your path, essentially. So, um, And for some, this might be a trust in God or the divine order of life. 
Um, but also I've heard this one translated a lot as sovereignty. And in mm. yoga, I love this one because in yoga philosophy, the practitioner is not passive. We're, we're taking control. There's this big concept of self-rule and we're taking ownership and direction of our actions. And, but we're doing this from a pace of devotion and connection and gratitude for our life. Yes. Yeah. So I always think with this one, can I surrender and trust in the path that I'm on? Can I reflect on successes, challenges and hardships that I've ridden before to assist me in the act of trust in the path I'm on now? And can I take action and responsibility combined with this faith that I'm on the right path and moving in the right direction? Trust is a big, big one, especially when mm. you can't always do things to like make the outcome the one that you want it to be. Like when sometimes your hands yes. are absolutely tied <laughs> in terms of, yeah, you, you physically can't do anything to get the outcome you want and yeah. you just have to trust that whatever comes and like, up. That's why I think that sometimes just looking back and seeing, well, actually in this situation in my life before I didn't, that wasn't the outcome that I particularly would have chosen. But in the end, I can see the steps of where it actually led to here and now, and I wouldn't actually change that. So maybe I can trust that even though I don't like where I am right now, that maybe six steps down the line, I'll look back and trust that I was in the right place now. Yeah. Cause I would have to say most situations that I was in that felt icky and yucky and at the time I would learn a lot if not all of them I can't think of anything off my head that I wouldn't have absolutely high with hindsight just it makes it go no I I actually needed that I may not have wanted it but I needed that (laughs) yeah exactly but as I said I do find that one quite hard one to talk about just because of the word God and I think that I, I think that's why I probably lean to the word of sovereignty because I feel like that concept of self-rule and taking that ownership resonates with me a lot more. Whereas for some people, depending on your faith or your upbringing, you might resonate more with that surrender to, to God. So yes, that's, that's where you have that choice in yoga. There's no sort of set. Patanjali, especially in his yoga sutras, does leave that very open. He says a couple of times something like, oh, what works for you? Yeah. <laughs> Which I like. Yeah, because yeah. so devotion the- can be devotion to, yeah, whatever you need it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. With that, um, so that is, yeah. That sovereignty. Like I remember back at the beginning, you spoke about obviously doing yoga for self-practice. And really owning yeah. that because I feel like part of yoga, we mm-hmm. just give away to the teacher to take yes. it to it. And I know I am quite bad. I'm like, just tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to have to think about it. And I do remember one time, like literally, you turned, I was like, you just have to do, you need to, I'm going to stand up here and do my yoga class, like what I want yeah. to do. And I want you all to like go through your own practice obviously you can look at me and stuff if you need it and I was just like oh my goodness I have to like literally yeah do. take <laughs> take some ownership <laughs> it's hard and because like you yeah. literally have to go in and then it's like well what does my body want right now I like, love that what an amazing tool that that teacher you used to uh, uh it was horrible for me at the time <laughs> I mean, still now like because yeah it and wasn't I, what you needed at that moment you needed more support not necessarily, no, it's because it was hard. Like you go back to that dedication <laughs> thing. And because I'm also quite a perfectionist, and I'm like, okay. I don't know. What if I do it wrong? Or like, oh. and it's like, when you, ha- I just you have to stop and go, 
you can't do it wrong like <laughs> you can't do it you, you really can't do if you're there in your body and with your breath the yoga is working like it doesn't matter if your triangle pose or whatever pose it is looks like how you think it should look if you're letting go of that and you're there in your body with your breath you're doing yoga you're practicing yoga and you're going to get those benefits which I think is such a hard sticky point for self-practice isn't it yes it's that feeling of not knowing what you should do and if you're doing it right and that's because we are so disconnected with listening to our bodies aren't we yeah because we listen we listen to the teacher yeah and yeah so yeah what do you think is the power of self-practice oh see self-practice for me was such yeah such an empowering thing when I started practicing by myself I was able to it's almost like it clicked a bit more because in a class you're kind of always following like the teacher's counts and the teacher's like when to inhale and to exhale but when you're just moving with your breath you you trust yourself a lot more and that has then translated now when I go to yoga classes I I often am like a pose or two behind everyone else because I am with myself and I'm where I sort of need to be and I'm following along but it just gives you that empowering inward more inward practice whereas when you're if when it's in a class it's sometimes more external because you're looking and you're listening a lot more to external cues whereas with a self-practice when it's just you it's much more of an internal journey and through that internal self-practice I learned to be more internal in an external setting such as a yoga class if that makes sense yeah yeah, so you actually, it's just you and your mat no matter where you are. Yeah, and I learned that through a self-practice. Just And even starting so simply, like I try and keep some repetition in my classes through, even though I modify the sun salutations, sun salutations, or Surya Namaskara's sun salutations a lot, and we do variations of them, they always kind of follow the same sort of formats because I really want students to feel that they know that sequence and that if they do sort of ever end up in a situation where they can't get to a class, they, they have that sort of memory and they can maybe, maybe or inspire them to do just two sun salutations on their own and feel that in their bodies and feel how that transforms for them. Challenge for everyone and I'll set it for yeah, myself I, too. I will yeah. start doing them a couple, even just little, like don't have to be long, like 10 minutes. Like obviously that hour was like, oh my goodness, like chuck me in the deep end. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't have to be long. It could be 10 minutes in the no, morning or the evening yeah. before you go to bed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I just think it, it, it cut like it, sometimes it can be quite hard to fit a yoga practice into a life. Like if you're, especially if you're going to a class and you've got to drive there, you've got to make time to be there. You've got to make time to get home and all those things. Whereas once you're, you can access it anytime, basically yes. once you've learned that and learned that trust in yourself to guide yourself through that practice, it's there for you. If you've got, if you've got two minutes, you've got two minutes. If you've got an hour, you've got an hour, but you can yeah. use what you need. Whereas in a yoga class, you'd never have the opportunity to practice for five minutes. Would you? No. no. <laughs> so Unless you do it and just like lay in child's, uh, like go down in child's pose for the rest exactly. of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it allows you to, to take it and be, and practice more, I guess. Like you can do a lot more shorter practices because you can fit that in a lot more. Yeah. So if yeah. this has sparked people's interest, like I definitely has with me, I'm going to go and mm-hmm. read and learn a lot more about this. What are some, do you know, like of some good books or resources or anything that you have loved? Ooh. 
Well, like just throwing yeah. that random question so, in there. <laughs> well, so one of my, couple of my favorite books, there's one um, by BK, BKS Iyengar uh, called Living, wait, I'm going to grab it. It's right in front of me. Uh, Light on Life, BKS Iyengar, Light on Life. That's a really lovely book. That's the one where the quote came from with the Asana bow and the soul yeah. one. Um, that's a really lovely book. He's got a really magical way with words. Um, I also really like uh, Judith Lasseter's Living Your Yoga. Nice. And um, Desika Char's um, The Heart of Yoga. Desika Char, The Heart of Yoga. It's another quite accessible place to start. Yeah, I just think it's nice if people want to dive more into it. Yeah, and um, definitely. How could they not after? Yeah, and also all the amazingness well, you've shared. <laughs> <laughs> all of those are yamas and the niyamas and the reflection questions. I have all of that down in like a little. I guess it's like a little mini ebook. It's like ten or so pages, and it's got a little instruction and the reflection questions. So I've got a link, um, which I think I put on my Instagram yesterday. So there's also that as well, if they want to sort of reflect on some of the questions that I reflect on. Well, that'd be that perfect. I'll, out there as well. I'll put that in um, the show notes as well. So if anyone wants oh, that. Oh, that'd be amazing. And they can just, yeah, yeah really easily get that. So before I wrap up, because I know we have been talking for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we probably could keep talking. Um, yes, definitely. Yes. So much more to say. <laughs> Where can your, when can the listeners find you um you know how can they work with you and do you have yeah. coming up like give us a bit of a, a spiel okay so um what am I working on at the moment so obviously if people are local to Wiltshire I know you've got an audience all around the world but people local to Wiltshire I do teach a lot of weekly classes um at the moment they're all on zoom but in two weeks we will be back to in-person classes but I will be keeping a couple of classes on Zoom as well. So anyone anywhere in the world can tap in and join me there. Um, and also local to Wiltshire, I'm going to be starting a bit of a yoga brunch club where we'll sort of dive into topics like this a bit more and then have lunch um, at a cafe afterwards together. So there's that. Amazing. And then, yeah, I'm always putting out resources on my blog as well. I do try and keep that up together. So yeah, all those sorts of ways to connect. But yeah, I'm really excited to be keeping one of one or two of my classes online um, as we reopen because I think it's a really lovely way. I run a Thursday evening class called Move, Breathe, Meditate, and we do a lot of pranayama um, and a bit more meditation than I would probably normally fit into a class. So yeah. that's a really lovely one. I'll put again all the links in how to get you in the show notes yeah. too, so anyone can find you easily. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Um, Final questions. How do you yep. sustain, <laughs> strengthen, and nurture your life? Oh, good question. Definitely for me, uh, I really learned this last year. Like, I know a lot of people struggled um, with the lockdowns and stuff. But I actually learned how much being on my own and being sort of in silence or at home just with like my boyfriend or something really sustains me and nurtures me. I didn't realize quite how much I needed time alone to recharge oh that's a good one so that's yeah really I really do need that to recharge and I always feel so much better better for it that really sustains me um but also as well uh, I absolutely have I know you follow you follow this so you'll know about my little allotment I absolutely love my little allotment and that really 
that really sustains and nurtures me as well. And I, I just love like growing my food from seed, like all the way to plate. And that just makes me like playing that long game of nurturing that just, yeah, definitely. I love your little allotment. I love watching your little allotment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did lose quite a loop, quite a few young plants in the recent cold snap. We had some of this trying to sort of let them go. (laughs) Yes, that is, that is nature for you, isn't it? It is nature, yeah. <laughs> and what are you currently doing in your life to find your hum? Oh, find my hum. So it's really funny, actually. I think this is a little bit contradictory to what I just said about how being alone really sustains me. Um, but one of the things that makes me really find my hum is actually connecting with people. And uh, like through, especially through yoga, like talking to people, sharing the practice with people that really makes me feel like that hum and that in alignment which I actually sounds... don't think that's contradictory at all because I yeah. like when you were saying that like I definitely like spending time to myself to kind of recharge but I actually found for the past year not being able to connect with people like you said like talk about your passions I actually found that I never had chance to it's not recharge your energy but it's to like bring it up and push it out like yeah. I think yes so I, I totally understand yes. that oh I'm glad that makes <laughs> sense because I was like oh does that really make sense because I've just said like two really different things there but they feel quite different to me one's like this real outburst of energy and makes me feel like really alive and like in that state of harm and then the other one just makes me feel sustained and nourished yes that's exactly yes Oh, I love that. What a perfect way to end. Thank you so, so much for your time. This has been... Thank you for having me. It's seriously the most amazing conversation. I am, yeah, just absolutely... Well, I'm humming. Like you talk about finding your humming. This is what makes me hum. Conversations like (laughs) this is so good. Oh, well, thank you so much. And yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it.